laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Murs and David Horning on this week's episode. I love how he just stands back and like assesses the room when they do that off. He just stands back and just takes in the room the way he does. It's amazing. He knows already, which is like he already knows how to handle the situation because he's already done this set a million times and it's like he's ready to, to break it down. I got you right where I want. And, and that even draws a laugh. Like it's almost the audience knows they're about to get scolded. Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Can't Laugh at That with David Morning yeah. and Steve Merck. Uh Today we're going to talk about a, uh, a legend in stand-up. We're going to talk about his newest album that just came out. What's it called? Uh, since it's called Sincerely, Sincerely Louis. Man, we are cutting out. What yes. was it again? Steve, you're cutting out a Sincerely. Time. Guys, I, this is cutting out every single time you tell me what it is. Uh, it out. There's been a lot of cutting this episode. We're going to have to do a lot of cutting. David Coulier's special is called Cutting Out. Yeah. <laughs> That's who we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about uh, com- comedic did, legend. Did you hear that about Dave Coulier? No, I haven't. The, uh, a local female, I forget if she's a comic or a uh, just a fan of comedy, but way back in like when I first started, she said that Dave Coulier came back to her place and she did not want to have sex with him or anything. They just wanted, he just, she, she just assumed he wanted to hang out, which was really dumb. But he, uh, he, she like went to the bathroom and came back out of the bathroom and he was just laying on her bed naked. <laughs> That's like way worse than Louis CK. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody Louis wants to have sex with uncle Joey. Like, no. <laughs> like, Oh Why no! Couldn't you be Dave John Stamos? Yeah, that's that, If I went back Why to my you be John Stamos was naked on my bed, I would fuck John Stamos. Right. <laughs> then there's Bob Saget, who's funnier I mean, than Dave Coulier. Yeah, <laughs> Bob Saget's in the middle. Dave Coulier, huh? Did he get in, Did he get in trouble for anything or just doing the Bullwinkle voice? That was it. Uh, was he doing that while he was on the bed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm naked. Oh. <laughs> 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 yeah, no, it's way worse. That's way worse than, than Louis C.K. <laughs> if, if Dave Coulier is doing somebody want to fuck Uncle Joey, <laughs> that is like... get as like, the woodchuck. Yeah. That's the woodchuck. Ah. Uh, Forget the voice. So his album, Sincerely, uh, it's his first album since the incidents. Um, he dropped it without any fanfare, without any like press releases, anything like that. It, uh, it, it's a good album. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a great hour. I enjoyed it. I watched it twice. Um, but after getting in trouble 
for something so like high, uh, so like highly visible, you know, you're not going to be able to just open the stand-up special without addressing it. And uh, he does that very well at the beginning of Sincerely, which you can purchase from his website for $7.99. All proceeds go to him. I just want to say one thing real quick. Aziz Ansari, his special, yeah. so pathetic. He starts his special out. He gets all sincere. He's got this giant beaming light on him. The light contrast is enormous, so he's got a lot of attention on him. It's not just sort of like a dimly lit room. It's just like beaming on him. He's like, so I had a weird moment. Oh, it was weird. And I just want to say I'm sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> you forgive me? All right, let's start the special. And it's like, oh, so gross. It was just so pathetic and disgusting. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm just saying that the way he did it was just so sad and, like, pathetic. It's like, either address it and make it as casual as you can. I mean, I know it's, you can't, like, make that casual, but I don't think casual is the word. You know, just not like, hey, let's have a sit down for a moment. And then, okay, <laughs> let's start to have fun. Let's have fun now. And it's like, geez, I don't know. Sorry for that tangent, but it was relevant. It was it's, his it's sort of point. There's like a way to do it and a way not to do it. And right. he he basically started the special by uh, by asking if there were any birthdays in the audience. <laughs> like, and that's the equivalent of that. Just like, and then telling the audience like who they can see coming up. And it's like, you don't don't do that. You just killed all your momentum, bro. Uh. The way Louis did it was great, though. Uh, first and foremost, I, I do want uh, to say uh, what Louis did is what Louis did. That's it. That's all. We're going to talk about the comedy side of things, uh, how he addresses it in his special, and uh, just the, the concept of the elephant in the room. So when do you draw attention to something that you said or did uh, to the audience to ease the tension in the room, essentially? And that's, uh, I mean, I feel like that's a fun topic. Yeah. And Louis C.K. does it a few times in a special. And rather than bounce around to different comedians, we're just going kind to of focus on that because it's new. And uh, it, he does a really great job of it. And he does it in a couple different ways. Yep. Right at the very beginning, the very first thing he said. I mean, he, just the way he addresses it is is perfect. He like You can tell he kind of saved some of it for later. But let's just let the clip speak for itself. Sit down, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks. Nice to... Uh... All right, nice to see you all. Thanks for coming. I've been, I've been thinking about you all day. All right, how, how was your last couple of years? How was, <laughs> how was 2018 and 19 for you guys? <laughs> Anybody else get in global amounts of trouble? Anybody else? Crazy. Man, I was in a lot of trouble. Wait till they see those pictures of me in blackface. That's going to be... That's going to make it a lot worse. Because there's a lot of those. There's thousands of pictures of me in blackface. I can't stop doing it. I just... I like it. I like how it feels. Fuck, man. That was... 
You know what? I learned a lot. I learned a lot. I learned how to eat alone in a restaurant with people giving me the finger from across the room. When you get in trouble, you learn who your real friends are. It's true. People like saying that like that's a good thing. Who the fuck wants to know who their real friends are? You don't want to know that, believe me. You don't want to know. It's never who you want it to be. It's not your cool friends, and it's not your fun friends. It's your real friends. I'm here for you. I fucking know that. How do you feel about, like, I mean, how do you feel about how he just comes out? Were you, were you hoping for, well, yeah, let's just start with what he did, and then we'll go into what you were, like, hoping for. Um, you know, I might preface it with the fact that I've seen him do that when that 40 or so minutes was released a year or so ago. Yeah. So it's kind of, so I guess my initial reaction from that, that was a much more extreme set than the one we saw. It was right. much more refined and, and palatable than the one I heard. I'm sure you guys heard it too. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. He comes out and he addresses it right away and uh, it works. And you kind of notice that he has like sort of a Donald Trump uh, appeal to him to certain demographics of people where it's like, yeah, we support you. Nobody's perfect, and you're crazy, and yeah, wow, it's so awesome that you're just owning this and saying whatever you want. And it's like, you know, you get that sort of effect going. Uh, it's the same. It's just sort of the same effect, but you know. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, he makes it funny. I mean, that's all funny. That's all, that all functions as, as jokes, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like he lowers himself just enough and puts him in such a light where it makes the rest of his special palatable? Because he knows he needs to address it right off the rip. But do you feel like he put himself in a place where uh, it makes him just vulnerable enough to be uh, relatable for the rest of the special? definitely sets the tone for that because he goes out and he you know it's very honest it's extremely honest it's kind of like dave Chappelle. dave Chappelle comes out and he's extremely honest in his special and i appreciated that from people because you know your comics come out there and they're just like i am not anything like what i really am <laughs> like john mulaney or something well i like john mulaney but you get what i'm saying is they're putting on a thing and these people are being more real with what they're saying and you know you can appreciate that um, and, uh, yeah, he sets the tone. He definitely sets the tone for the rest of the special. He says he's a bad person, like blatantly. Yeah. Oh yeah. How was everybody else's 2008? Right. Anybody else get in global amounts of trouble? Global amounts of trouble. Right. Like that, that's a great way to address it. Um, and then, uh, and then the visual of just, eating alone at a restaurant and then just having strangers flick him off. It's like, this is, so he's kind of saying like, this has been my burden to bear without explicitly saying those words. Um, kind of sort of comes out for the first time. And then this happens. Yeah. And now he's back in everybody else. Uh, I like too the, the, he came out in a, not, 
I wouldn't say he came out in a very sheepish way, but he definitely didn't come out in a very confident, like, oh, like, look at me. Like, I know what I had done and I'm not sorry for it. I think he, the way he approached it in a way where he kind of like humbles himself in a sense and he punches down at himself, which I think helped, especially up top, uh, set him up for success as the set goes on. Right. Right. No, that's a good point. And what you humble saying, Steve, about his like leaked album, I mean, the fact that this is much more palatable. I mean, this is this is that leaked album a year later, after a year of work. Um it's like it's it's almost unfair for that out al- that album to have been leaked at that time because it's like these are these are new raw like emotional jokes. This isn't you know refined, skilled joke writing, you know. And whereas this is the finished product of that, the other special was a little bit more himself being like a club comic, where he was a lot more uh, spiteful mm-hmm. and. Uh, it was very funny. Um, and it's funny for all the reasons that we've laid out in previous episodes. You know, it's not like he's, it's not like he was trying to be offensive. Uh, it would be to a lot of people, but the the whole point was he's crossing lines and that stuff just makes me laugh when I see people cross the line, but it's funny too. It's not just like crossing the line. It's crossing the line with good joke craft on top of that. And that combination is extremely potent for laughter because you've got two things going on. You've got the joke and then you've got the subject matter tied into one. And it was just like, whew, really funny, honestly. I'm not just crossing a line. Cross the line. Like there's purpose. Right. What's the line? Lord Michaels is going to retweet us next week. Uh, he doesn't have a Twitter, so. Hmm. It's true. Yeah. Probably for the better. Uh, on there. How do you think this whole special would have been differently, uh, tonally, if he hadn't opened it with that? Well, like I said with uh, Aziz Ansari, it wasn't pathetic. It was humble in a sense where he, he like Jeremy said, he's punching down on himself and all these things, he came out really funny instead of just dumb. And, uh, yeah, he, I, if, if he didn't do that, uh, yeah, I don't know. Everybody been like waiting as the elephant in the room, like you said, and you need to sort of squash that right away and then move along with your set. Do you feel like yeah, it was, it's almost like, it's almost like the Chekhov's gun of, uh, of stand up, you know, when you're somebody who gets into trouble like that and then you get on stage, everybody's expecting you to use that right away, whether as a joke or as an apology or whatever, you know. Uh, and if you don't use it, then the audience is just left disappointed. And if you're not familiar with Chekhov's gun, it's a, it's a it's a rule essentially in in theater that if you introduce a gun in act 1, it better be used by act 3. Hmm. Right. That's a good that's a good point. Do you think it was beneficial for him to have that set leaked or do you think it was it kind of hurt him in a sense because 
you know, none of that material was refined enough for when uh, he, you know, we weren't ready. We weren't ready to uh, let him apologize. We weren't ready to hear we're sorry from him yet at that point because the, the to, for us, the wound was still pretty fresh. So do you think it was beneficial for him or so this way you can see like the progression of like what the material was and then when we're ready to hear it, his apology? I think any any comedian doesn't like it when their when their newer stuff gets out. I mean, you know, the, I wouldn't want people to see the script for my movie. You know, if it's like a big blockbuster that's coming out, even if it's not done, like I wouldn't want people to see like the fifth draft of it. You know, I don't. It's not going to be the final product. It's not a fair representation of of my work. Like, I don't know. I wouldn't, I would say it hurt. Um, like you said, just cause we weren't ready for, for him to come back full force yet. And it almost felt like he was rubbing it in our faces, even though it wasn't him that, that, that leaked the album. But you know, I mean, the fact that he opens up with, with, uh, addressing the situation without being on the nose about it. Like if he were on the nose about, you know, this is what I did and this is, you know, and I'm sorry, like like Steve said, it almost it almost changes the tone of the room. Whereas he just he delivered a few simple lines. He gave everybody, you know, A plus B and and let everyone else figure it out and laugh and fill in the blanks and and then he goes right into his set, uh, about, you know, uh, you figure out who your real friends are. <laughs> it's like you know, so a bit to lead off. So the rest of his set, how else does he address the elephant in the room? Um, let's go right. I was in a sushi restaurant in Florida and it was empty. You ever go in a restaurant and it's open, but it's you're literally the only person in there. You walk in, the staff is like sitting at the tables, you know, and you walk in, you're like, are you open? They're like, yeah. And uh, <laughs> so you go, oh good. And, you, and they're like, oh, <laughs> we got to fire up the whole fucking restaurant for this one guy now? So I ordered a lot of sushi because I felt bad uh, for wasting their time, and um, and, they, and I, didn't, I didn't eat most of it because I don't like sushi. And um, so the waitress comes over; she's Japanese, and uh, she says, uh, "You know Finnish?" Which is what she said. I'm not. <laughs> it's just what she said. I can't. I'm not gonna change what she fucking said. I'm not going to lie to you and say that she said, you're not going to finish that, because it doesn't happen to be what she said. <laughs> and I have to do the accent, because it's weird if I tell you that she said, you know finish? <laughs> so I'm stuck. <laughs> I'm just telling you what happened. She said, you know finish? <laughs> do you know finish? That's exactly what she said. It's a perfect replica. No, it was subtle. She said, you know Finnish? And I said, no, I know Finnish. Because I think that's, I think that's polite to repeat people's bad English to them. Otherwise you're being a dick. It's like, you know Finnish? No, I am not going to finish. <laughs> you left out a lot of words. 
<laughs> I took the liberty of restoring them. Dude, I love that joke. Yeah. Uh, why? So he says, you know, finish the first time. And then there's kind of like a, a sedated laughter in the audience. And then he addresses it right away. He's like, what? That's what she said. That's how she said it. Clearly, that's all set up, obviously. It's a calculated special. And it's sort of, uh, I don't know what his intent was from the beginning, but I'm sure he knew he would run into that. I mean, considering the social climate or whatever you want to call it. I hate saying that fucking term. But, uh, you know, just like... Uh, Oh, you can't do the accents, blah, blah, blah. It's racist, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, it's not like Shane Gillis where he's like, those stupid chinks and faggots, you know, it's like, it's different. Um, but uh, I, I've i always been a proponent of the idea of if you're going to do an accent, do it, try to do it realistically. Uh, and when you do and people still get mad, you got to be like, well, clearly you just think that's a weird accent and you don't like the way they sound because why would you act like that's offensive? Obviously, if you're not of that persuasion, that's, that's you know, the Asian persuasion, you know. Um, it's kind of like those people that are racist. They're like, he's an amalgamation, <laughs> a hybrid. Like, that's racist. But, uh, you know, it's like, what, what's your intention? We've talked about this before in other podcasts uh, about, what, doing accents and stuff. And it's like, please just... Don't try to. Uh, clearly, the purpose of that joke was to address that. So it's in itself a meta joke. It was meant to address that whole topic, and it was right. set up that way. And it was, um, but yeah, I, I think you know. One thing I like doing is just sticking to making fun of other types of white people. Uh, it's safe, it's easy, and it's just as fun. Uh, and. Uh, being as ambiguous as I am, I like to just do that, and it's fun to do, and no one can point fingers at me. Um, I used to do a joke about beer pong, and it was it favored Asian culture, but I still did an Asian accent, uh, and I didn't want to do it in an English in an American accent because I didn't think people would, would make that connection. It, and it went like this, and it was when I first started, and yes, it sounds a little weird, but it was like, what do you think the Chinese think of beer pong? You know, what, what do they, you've kind of perverted their ping, their game of ping pong. And like, I forget how I told the joke, but it was like, no, you get it all wet. You know, like, you know, you get in the table all wet, your brain, it's like, just drink beer and play ping pong like an adult. That's what I used to say. So it was like, but I, I did do the, the, no, no, you get it all wet. Like, I would do, like, the, like, oh, I went to the Chinese restaurant, and that's how they talked, uh, you know, thing. And it's, it was supposed to be, like, realistic, but also that's not entirely realistic. Because, I mean, if you don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese, you're not going to sound like a realistic Chinese person. So, you know, you're already setting yourself up for failure there. But the point was, I didn't want to be like, no, you get it. You're getting it all wet. People will be like, he sounded like that because, you know, it's not an American Chinese person. It's supposed to be someone from China. You know what I mean? Where, you know, ping pong is actually like their sport, you know what I mean? Or whatever, like the, their pastime. So that was sort of it reminded me of that joke that I used to do, which I don't do anymore because why set yourself up for that? <laughs> 
you can't laugh at that. So he kind of wraps this joke up as, well, he opens it. You almost think he's going to do a joke about eating at this empty sushi restaurant. And then, I mean, the joke, like you said, it is about, it's more about the audience's reaction to him using the Asian accent. And then he, he delivers supporting details one after the other to make everybody in the audience realize that, oh, no, he definitely needed to do the accent the way he did. Because it was very, like, he was like, yeah, it was subtle. Like, that's how it was. Uh, what do you want me to say? You didn't, or you aren't going to finish? And he lists all the reasons why it would be ridiculous for him not to use the accent the way he did to the point where he builds up to that, like, big, over-exaggerated accent, which wouldn't have worked if he, like, did that as the first or the second beat of the joke. You have to build up to that ridiculousness um, to almost what the audience, like, thought they were hearing when he did the Asian accent to begin with. And then... do it. Yeah. And then he makes it about how he responds to her, like, no, I know finish. (laughs) Which is how I responded because what am I going to correct? Like if I if I use all the words and it's like I'm correcting her, um, so so then he takes the joke and twists it onto himself at the same time. Uh, it's just a really a really tight like minute. I love minute joke. Uh, the it's thing great. I love most about that joke is that he holds up the mirror to the fact that as Americans we think we're mentally superior to other races because we use. Uh, all, all, all the extent of the English language when that's not a necessarily reflection on somebody's intelligence, whether or not they can use our, our language properly. Right. And, and I think I love sure. how he, he hams it up to a point where he, he gets everybody on board of this, like, Oh, we're, we're laughing at them type deal. And then he goes, well, what am I going to do? Add in another, uh, add in the other words that are supposed to be there. And I love how he, he handles that joke of being like, listen, we're not as smart as we think we are just because we use the full extent of the language that we grew up speaking. Yeah. I mean, he's already bilingual. So there's that. So I've mean, already got that on you. And right. Then, you know? Um, yeah. He holds the mirror up to the audience many times throughout this special in a way where the audience doesn't even realize they're looking at themselves. It's great. Would you want to be condescending? That was his whole thing. Yeah. Like, how should I do it? How tell you tell me how I should do it, and that's the whole joke. It's like you're, you're all the possibility. Not really. Not really. Um, and then he moves on. It, it, this next joke is literally right after that one in his special. I was in upstate New York in a uh, small town, and uh, I was standing in front of a drugstore. And in the window of the drugstore, they had a wheelchair on display in the window. Is that really an impulse purchase? Hmm. I should get a wheelchair. That would really help with my paralysis. Then I wouldn't have to drag myself everywhere I go, like I've been doing for 10 years since my legs were blown off at the marathon. (laughs) 
Okay. Okay. Bunch of fucking hypocrites, apparently. Because, let me point some out to you. Let me point some out to you, motherfuckers. You were just, like, seconds ago, laughing at a man with no legs crawling on the ground. You're just... <laughs> and then at the end, you're like, oh, but not those particular legless people. No. We thought you meant just some asshole with a childhood disease who deserves to be laughed at. Not one of those. Now we're laughing at all legless people equally. However you lost your legs. Ha ha ha. <laughs> you haven't legs. And weave legs. <laughs> so he almost sets this joke up with the, uh, the Asian restaurant joke. So he's almost like testing the waters with the audience with that first joke. And then the wheelchair in a display window, which hilarious. Like, is that an impulse buy? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. That would help with my paralysis. Like, it's an absurd situation. But obviously, I mean, there was a reason for the joke to be written in the first place. So obviously there was a wheelchair and a window at one point. Uh, and then uh, and then he just builds the description of this paralyzed dude without a wheelchair that's been crawling around like the market for that week, essentially. And the audience and the, the laughs build and the laughs build. And then I got, you know, when I got my legs blown off, big laugh. At that marathon, ooh, like why that reaction? Why do you think the audience? Why do you think that was what stopped them? Because it was a tragedy. Because Vietnam isn't a tragedy. Uh, Boston Marathon is. You know, specific event, right? Relatively recent, like a, like a little nine eleven. It was like a. A middle of nine eleven, you know. Yeah. Just the scale of it. I mean, just it being captured on camera and yeah. I love how he just stands back but, and like assesses the room when they do that awe. He just stands back and just takes in the room the way he does. It's, it's amazing. Million times already, which is he's like he already knows how to handle the situation because he's already done this set a million times and it's like he's ready to, to break it down I got you right where I want him. And, and that even draws a laugh like it's almost the audience knows they're about to get scolded right the way he's back and then just says okay all right all right not not that much. it's okay to just laugh at any total comedy in the way where that joke is going to go, you can tell he's just like ready to break it down for him because he's done it a bunch. So. Oh yeah. And it's uh, it's a sense of mastery to be able to, to do that. But if, but if he just leaves the joke at Boston marathon and everyone, Oh, then what? Like, how does that, that doesn't, I don't know. Huh? Like, what happens you if know, you own, 
owning a joke is a big thing in comedy. If you want to get away with something, you get, if it's good, you need to own it, and then it will work better owning it instead of like, eh, don't hit me. You know, the, you'll, you'll never get away with anything uh, without without the confidence you need, and the confidence is built through through working through it. You know. Mm. I know I'm a professional. Yeah. So, Trust me. Make millions of dollars in comedy. <laughs> yeah, this is just our little side gig, you know, just a hobby. Just helping educate the masses. Good professionals make, like, thousands of dollars every year. Like, good TV professionals are, like, broke. That's yeah. so uplifting to know. Uh <laughs> Uh, big reason this isn't my end game. <laughs> you know? it's like, uh, if you're in um, comedy for the month, you fucked up. Yeah, Motel Six is not my uh, preferred method of sleeping. Uh, hmm. It is one where I want to kill myself, though. If I have, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be in a Motel Six on the road. So there you go. Some road comedy. Uh, get some, get some roadhead, get some roadhead all over the wall of the Motel Six. <laughs> <laughs> like Kennedy. No, Jackie Onassis to uh, to help put me back together, Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> <laughs> Laughing. If you, if you tell a joke like that on stage, like how do you, you know, when you do, you have any lines where you purposely tell them and then base the next joke off the audience reaction? Like, do you have anything that you have? Do you have anything that like sets that up intentionally? Right. Now, uh, <laughs> or from then, Oof. but uh, I know I do a lot of this stuff. I've done it here and there I've experimented with it. I can't say that I've ever perfected it in some cases I have, but in little bits. Um, but I like to toy with the audience and toe and, and bait them and then get into something because of the way they reacted. But I can't cite anything. I just, I've done it a bunch though. It's just different types of things and, uh, being like, Oh, what are you, what are you laughing at? What, what's so fun? Is that not true? Are you, you know, it's like, when I say that uh, Caitlyn Jenner filed for divorce with Chris Jenner, citing irreconcilable similarities, people don't want to laugh at that. And it's almost like they're saying that Caitlyn Jenner isn't a woman. Uh, and so in that sense, it's like they have to sort of admit something by not finding something funny. And it's like, so are you considering that person a woman or are you not? Are they not similar? Or are they similar? You're saying they're not similar because you think he's still Bruce. <laughs> like, what? I don't yeah. get it. It's like, it's just a play on words. It's literally just wordplay, but people are like, oh, duh, trans joke. No, it's not. It's not a trans joke. It's a joke about a trans person. You fucking yeah. idiot. Big difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of those things where people would like turn off anymore. You can't. You can't, it's like, it's like they're off limits. It's like, do you want to treat them as a part of society too or not? Uh, we should be able to talk about it 
uh, not like, oh, fuck Caitlyn Jenner. Sorry, what were you saying? Go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, I mean, people tend to hear her name and then just immediately turn off without even hearing the context. Uh, and it's one of those things. It's yeah. just like, you know, the Boston Marathon. Like, oh, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really do that with my jokes. I have, like, hmm. I used to say two greatest hits are those bullets, and people, like, got really get really weird about it. He died in the '90s. So did Diana, and they're still they still can't get over it. I don't like Tupac. I don't like his music. I don't want. It's not like I wanted him to die. Right. Your princess want died. people to laugh. I used to have this joke about how Sorry, like homeschoolers have like a real specific way of looking at things. So when I heard minorities were making Facebook pages, to me that sounded like racial profiling. And every time I did that joke, it was a mixed response. One time I did it at the Happy Dog, and I didn't realize that the room was predominantly black and Hispanic. And I was, like, doing very well. And I was so pumped. I was doing so well up until I did that joke. And as soon as I did that joke, you can feel the wind get sucked out of the room. Like, it just went from me doing really well in the room to nothing. And then it, like, took me another, like, five minutes to try and win them back. Man, that was a rough night. Now, in hindsight, would you have, would you have had like, uh, kind of a comeback joke like like Louis does, to kind of draw attention? Yeah, I would have addressed yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, and at least try like, to fight my way out of it. Native American, boom, shut up, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and I hadn't, I hadn't set that up. Like, no, that was my problem. That was my fault for that joke not landing because I never set up who I was as an individual. Before I had done that joke, they didn't know I was Native American. You can't tell I'm Na- uh, Native American and or Arab by looking at me. I look like a stereotypical white guy. Uh, so coming out with a joke like that without having set up who you are as an individual is not going to go well. No, sir. Everyone was hard enough with just white liberals. I, I One time I said... I was like, hey, you guys remember in the 90s when we all said retard and faggot all the time? And everybody's like, no. Shut up. Yes, you do. It was everywhere. <laughs> all the time. Constant. I love watching you right. be your... Uh... Like no, you go. No, 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 you go. No, no. <laughs> no, you go. You go. Uh... I can't wait till we get I'm sorry. <laughs> Back to you. Back to you, uh, Lauer. Back to you, Brian Williams. No, I do I do the uh, the elephant in the room on two of my jokes. Um, the first one I just started doing uh, with my my Subway slogan joke about how Subway changed their slogan the year Jared got caught. Because Jared ate a little too fresh. And, like, I will lose most of the room in that joke. I'll get a lot of big O's. Like, it's a, it's not that clever of a line. Um, but then I follow up with, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't think they changed their slogan to the right slogan. Like, they changed it to Subway, the way a sandwich should be. What is that? Subway, 18. And then that, like... Like it communicates to the audience, like that I'm on their side about the whole yeah. thing. Like, 
the fact that they had a sexual predator as their spokesperson for so long without even knowing, you know, is uh, ridiculous to begin with. And uh, I don't know. I feel like without that, you know, I'm with you. And then the follow-up line, like, I've lost the room. Because it's not that great of a joke to begin with. I mean, it's a it's an easy laugh line for simpler audiences. And then, uh, you know, without that second line, it doesn't do it well. And then the other one is uh, setting up this hypothetical part of my milk bit where, uh, where Jesus, uh, like, imagining the Catholic Church where, where they replace wine with milk. And, uh, you know, imagine... Jesus, the guy who turned water into wine at a wedding, invites you to a BYOB spot on Thursday night. You're psyched. You're like, Thursday's about to get lit. And then Jesus shows up with milk. You'd betray him, too. A lot of people are, like, really clenched up about that joke. And then and then I've started following up just by saying, I like how, I like how 12 of you were with me on that one. And then that gets, like, a bigger laugh. It's like they, they're like... Where they're like, oh, this is a ridiculous situation where Jesus brings milk. Like, this isn't a true story. Oh, sometimes you have to remind the audience that, like, what you're doing is jokes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, uh, and you have to draw attention to that sometimes. Other, like, do a thing. Some of you clearly skimmed through the Bible. <laughs> yeah. There's something, I don't know. Yeah, oh, come on. <laughs> I did have a joke about you Probably stop. Yeah. Oh, you do right, yeah. But I haven't, yeah, I haven't used that in the in the milk set for a long time now. You crossed the line. You, know, you have to you have to draw attention to losing the audience. You also have to draw the audience's attention to the fact that you're still just telling jokes. So when they, so when that, you know that, oh, it's like what? I'm telling jokes still. This is I'm a comedian. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Let's uh, let's let's get. The goal is to, you know, like Louis does, you got to like, you've got to use psychology to not have to spell out, to to be on the nose about, hey, these are jokes. There's like a way that you can say that, but make another joke out of it. And then it all kind of, you know, irons out the kinks and, you know, adds to jokes or laughs per minute and everything all at once. Yes. Yes. Uh, That's always been the most is being psychological about it and, and getting them to be on your side just through their own you guilting them or whatever making them realize something and go oh that's true yeah an understanding of psychology is it's definitely helpful to to writing better comedy or at least dealing with an audience yeah um, just like self-evident psychology not even like it's not like you got to crack a psychology book you don't have to like read freud that would probably help a lot but uh you know just self-evident psychology like how do i get them to think like i do and be on my side they need all the information if people knew you perfectly they would laugh at everything you say i feel like or at least you know what i mean by that at least right the trick with stand-up is getting a group of complete strangers to like you enough to trust you and to let you lead them onto this weird, sometimes dark journey. And, uh, you know, they need to know that they're going to be okay when they leave. Yeah. 
likable, you almost need you can almost skip certain psychological aspects of it. It's like I like this guy though. I I get where he's coming from. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's he doesn't. That's really all it is, you know. I trust you. I trust that you're joking because I like you. Yeah, and and Louis, uh, Louis is a very likable, like just dad like sort of figure, and that image was kind of tarnished a little bit with you know what he did. But when you're on stage and just like being in a room with him performing comedy in a vacuum, like he still maintains that persona really, really well. Um, for example, uh, the very next bit after the uh, the 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 wheelchair bit, uh, he has a bit on the word retarded. Uh, and we're let's dive real quick into that, and then let's get to the end of his uh, end of his set. I just don't know that our positive, non-disabled attitude really helps. Like retarded people, let's t- we're going to talk about retarded people <laughs> for twenty minutes. Just that's what's going to happen. We're going to discuss retarded people for twenty minutes. It's not okay to not never speak of them. No, we're going to talk about them. First of all, I want mostly I want to talk about the word retarded, okay? Because the word retarded, it's a bad word, and people do not like the word retarded. They find it very offensive. Now, I'm a little confused by this, because it wasn't always a bad word. And I grew up in the 70s, and it wasn't bad back then. And you, most bad words were always bad, you know? Cunt never had a day in the sun. There was never a, <laughs> a time where the Santa Claus at the mall was like, come here, you little cunt, tell me what you want for Christmas. <laughs> And then in the 90s, we're like, let's lay off a cunt a little bit there, gang. <laughs> no, the word, we used the word retarded in the 70s. We used it to identify people who were retarded. <laughs> it wasn't controversial. It wasn't like, he's retarded. It was like, he is retarded. <laughs> this fellow right here is retarded, right? I told you, yes, you're still retarded. He is retarded, everyone. And I grew up in Boston. We didn't say retarded in Boston. We said retarded. <laughs> he's retarded. God bless him, he's fucking retarded. <laughs> That's the way we used it. With love. Help the retarded. That's what people said in the 70s. Help the retarded. There was a lady outside the supermarket near my house every Christmas with a bell. She was like, help the retarded. Help the fucking retarded. You gonna tell me she was a bad person? She was helping the retarded. And I feel like we had more of them around back then. I haven't seen one in years. In the 70s, there was a retarded guy and a windbreaker on every street corner. They, we were using the word and they were more in our lives. I swear to God they were more. They were in our culture. There was TV movies about retarded people all the time. Tonight on ABC, a retarded boy's dream. <laughs> there was one, I remember with Sean Cassidy. I don't know if you remember Sean Cassidy. Some of you are too young. But Sean Cassidy, he began his career as a teen pop idol. He was a 13-year-old boy with a very hit song called Da Do Run Run. And uh, he had feathered blonde hair and juicy lips. And uh, he's on the cover of Teen Beat magazine. Like, 
And everybody liked Sean Cassidy because he was sexy. He's a sexy boy. I thought he was sexy. I did. I thought he was really sexy. I was six years old. But I already had inappropriate sex feelings for teenage boys when I was six. I was an old soul. I was, I was a pedophile when I was six. I used to go up to teenage boys when I was six, like, hey, how's it going? That was hilarious. Oh, my God. He does a few things there to address the elephant in the room. I mean, he just comes out and says retarded. And then and then talks about, like, all of the good ways it was used. Like, back in the day. And then he draws that uh, the contrast using cunt. How, like, cunt never had its day in the sun. That's <laughs> a silly example, but it's so true. It's like, that's never been a word that's fine to say. Like, retarded fine to say even the best people who had the best intentions used it it's like a light-hearted bit even though the, the, the subject material is like pc um and then he he cuts into it you can't do just like six straight minutes about uh the word retarded so louie does what louie does best and interrupts it with pedophile jokes <laughs> it's it a hilarious con it's such a funny joke because, you know, in that he's more innocent than those 16 year old kids in there. It puts the audience psychologically in a place where it's like, that's okay. And then he says he's an old soul. And that's just a funny phrase that people say, like, I'm an old soul. And he introduces that. It compounds the, what's funny about that on top of everything else. I think it was funny. As a six year old, a six year old is an old soul. <laughs> I was a pedophile when I was six. Come here, yeah. <laughs> That's innocent because he is punching up at that point in that theoretical, in that hypothetical situation. And so that's the psychology of, of getting people to laugh at something where, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. you got to be clever. You can make people laugh as long as they understand that you're coming from the right place and you're just trying to make them laugh. So. And he's, I mean, he's taking them back to their childhoods too, like, Think about when you were six. I mean, like, the things that you liked, the things that you did, the things that you were interested in, like, didn't make sense. So, you know, just to have that, like, carefree, like, I like teenage boys as a six-year-old, like, it's fine. <laughs> there's no, there's literally no stakes to it. <laughs> I just watched but, Flight of the Night. That movie came out in 1986. And the kid, his brother in the movie, the kid, the little, his little brother, who was like maybe nine or ten, he was like, hey, Davey's retarded. And that was like supposed to take place in 78. So it was like, that was something, you know, that was a thing. And then they said retarded in a Disney movie uh, in 86. And it's like, that is a thing that was, you know, common. Yeah, it wasn't a word that was bastardized before, but now, you know, we've... People started using it derogatorily, and uh, here we are. Yeah. Well, it always was, but we have a culture of accountability now where everything is surfacing because the internet exposes everything, and everybody's interconnected and able to be like, hey, look, see, look, proof, instead mm -hmm. of like hearsay and just people missing things and, um, and just time and progress. But yeah, right. it's even worse now. For sure. 
like you said. So, and that's why he. I mean, that's why he. I, I feel like included this joke in a, in the special too, is that he's kind of drawing attention to those things without actually calling them out explicitly. Like the way he jokes about it, like. You know how we used to. There used to be one. There used to be more of them. You know they were on every street corner in a windbreaker. Like that. That visual. I mean, he's making points that are true. That kind of circumvent the explicit like point that it's just a word. Um, kind of getting us to laugh at it without us realizing it. It's great. It's it's brilliant writing. I can only hope to someday be half as good as Louis C.K. at that. It's mm. it's weird when people I can make the, I can do the devil's advocate here when you say, "Oh, it's just a noise that comes out of your mouth. It's just a word." But it's like think about all the things you could say to somebody to completely tear them apart, and it would do that. It communicates like you see, you're a failure. You've always been a failure. Like just like things that not even like derogatory. Just like you can cut someone down. You go to court and you use words to either die, get put in jail, or not. It's like words have meaning. So it's like there's that too. But also at the same time, all of that is not the same as just an insult too. So it's kind of like it's it's very murky. Um, could obviously talk about this a lot longer, but it's not worth. I don't. I don't like. I don't like philosophizing about insults. It's stupid. I think. Yeah, they can hurt people's feelings. Yes, they can, and you have a choice to care or not care. And how much of an asshole are you? I don't know. <laughs> like that's one of the, you know, more whatever. Yeah, you can use a knife to to whittle a small trinket for a for a lady friend, or you can use it to murder somebody. <laughs> it's it's a tool. How do you use it? Do you feel like it's made comedians because we we live in such a culture of accountability? Do you feel like it's made the comedians stronger because of it, or funnier because of it? Because you now that you have to explain what you mean as opposed to just saying the word and kind of like moving on from it. Yeah, it comes down to word economy and being clever where you don't have to be long-winded about something. Uh, there's ways you can kind of compartmentalize a point into something and not have to bore the shit out of people. Sometimes you can't, and yeah, it's hard to avoid. But uh, in, in a lot of cases, you can you can sum it up and kind of... It's kind of like writing a script. You don't have to be like, hey, we're going to go to the store now. Like, you know, like just you're not being on the nose. You, you want to say things indirectly and, and make it sort of built in so you don't have to address a bunch of things. It's all implied. It all kind of gets implied through context. Helps save time and people's tears and boredom or whatever you want to call it. From a writing standpoint, too, it does make you a better writer because you have to think of different ra- ways to say the same thing. I mean, like you were saying, you know... I, mm-hmm. You cut right to the point, but there's no creativity in that. Now you have to say the same thing, but use an analogy or use a metaphor or, or tell a story. Or, I mean, there's an infinite number of ways to do it. And I think um, a more PC culture allows us to 
find ways to do that to almost circumnavigate or circumvent circumnavigate. I'm thinking a lot about Ferdinand Magellan um, to circumvent people's defenses so that you can say the same thing and, uh, and make the same point without them even realizing it. And, and you're also kinder. Yeah. It helps to work on your emphasis and your charisma as a comedian in acting or whatever you want to call it, because you can get away with a lot just by the way you say things, your body language, things like that can do a lot of explaining for you without wasting any time. Um, so you, you worked on that. It's like a lot of comedians that don't get away with things that they think that they can is because they're too monotone to do it. Monotonous comedy is only meant for stuff that's clever, I think, or just sort of straight to the point, like what's funny on paper. Um, but beyond that, there's so much more you can do with charisma and the way you say You see Louis. Louis has a ton of charisma. He means what he says, and at least he's convincingly sounds the way sounds that way. And that, that's to his advantage. He's full of charisma. Right. It's like, would you rather uh, listen to Louis C.K. give an hour lecture or Stephen Wright? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you, there's only so much you can get away with that monotone. You're right. Um, all right. So let's uh, let's dive into Louis' closing, or not his closing bit, um, about 51 minutes when he readdresses the incident. People, just some people like when sex is a little fucked up, you know? Um, <laughs> some people some people like when sex is a little fucked up <laughs> alright <laughs> no alright you want to talk about it should we talk about it alright right. I don't mind I don't mind talking about it okay um Here's what I'll do. I'll give you some advice. Here's some advice that really only I can give you. Here's my advice. If you ever ask somebody, can I jerk off in front of you? Just let me finish. I mean, I mean, let me finish what I'm saying. Uh, uh, fuck. Okay. <laughs> if you ever ask somebody, may I jerk off in front of you? And they say yes. Just say, are you sure? That's the first part. And then if they say yes, just don't fucking do it. Just, just don't do it. Because look, Whatever you're into, okay? Because everybody's got their thing. Whatever your thing is, I don't know. You all have your thing. I don't know what your thing is. You're so fucking lucky that I don't know what your thing is. <laughs> Do you understand how lucky you are that people don't know your fucking thing? Because everybody knows my thing. <laughs> everybody knows my fucking thing now. Obama knows my thing. Do you understand <laughs> how that feels? To know that Obama was like, good lord. <laughs> Everybody in the world knows my thing. I got on an airplane in Italy. This little kid was like, mama, that's the guy who jacked off in front of the people. 
So whatever your thing is, I don't know what it is. Maybe you, you can't come unless you have your father on speakerphone. Whatever it is. <laughs> if you want to do it with somebody else, you need to ask first. But if they say yes, you still don't get to just go, woo, and charge ahead. You got to check in often. I guess that's what I would say. Check in. The point is abundantly clear. Uh, he addresses that perfectly. Some people have weird sex things. And you can tell he knows the audience is already thinking about it. Uh, and then he just points at himself. And then that, it, that in itself is a punchline. Uh, and then this goes back just to exactly what he did in the beginning. He's punching down on himself. But he also has a message. And he has a, it's the message that I think um, people wanted to hear from him from the jump. Just don't do it. Like, ask, ask again, and then just don't do it. <laughs> and, uh, and he turns that into a joke. Um, and then he turns it into, you know, you guys have your own thing, and you're so lucky that I don't know your thing. Everybody knows my thing. Uh, so, again, he goes with the making himself the butt of the joke. And he escalates that joke really well bringing it, you know, you guys know my thing, and then Obama knows my thing, and then, which is hilarious, that's the line that got me, and then uh, and then he ups it up to the next level, like, random little Italian boy on a plane. Uh, Mr. Pila, very, very good! <laughs> <laughs> he does point out the fact, like the wide spectrum of how many people know his weird sexual thing. Right. And that was like that point of the that point of the specials when it, that dawned on me that like oh this is his prior moment this is his, when Richard Pryor like set himself on fire or when he shot his wife's car he made jokes about it and he made light of it and made himself into a human being in that process of like I know I did fucked up things and this is this is how I humanize what I had done and the way he he brings it up is so. Uh, both Pryor and Louis C.K. is so well orchestrated that you know you have you're almost like you almost feel bad for him in a sense, but it's so goddamn funny in the process, which is amazing. Like to have that balance between the two, right? It's like how would you like it if everybody that you walked by knew your thing? Like, so mm-hmm. he kind of puts us in his shoes in a way, which is brilliant the way he does it. Um. Yeah, and even, and I was surprised by this, my girlfriend, uh, earlier this year, we were talking about Louis C.K., and she was like, I mean, I don't get it. Like, I just feel like we're kink-shaming the guy. <laughs> and I was like, I've never, put, I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess, I guess it's kind of fucked up that he did it uh, to people who were, like, uh, like, working for him. That's fucked up. Yeah, but uh, the whole power thing about on top of just the lewd act itself of unsolicited. Well, in his case, he claims it was solicited, and like, who do you? I don't know. I I wasn't there, so don't don't even ask me questions about it. But um, you know, it's one of those things where. Yeah, I mean, he made it about I mean, the joke, just about that's his like sexual thing. Like he likes 
doing that in front of people. He didn't really make a joke about it. Um, the joke really was that everybody knows his thing now and that he wishes no one did, uh, but also that he'd learned from it. So, I mean, there's a lot that can be taken away from it. I mean, he drew attention to it in a couple of different ways. Uh, the audience was with him the whole time. I mean, they were there to go to see Louis C.K. It's not like he popped in and did that. Like, I would have been that front of an audience that was, like, at the cellar, not expecting to see him. I mean, when he would drop into the cellar, he would drop in at the midnight show, and uh, and they would they would allow people to leave and give them refunds if they didn't want to see him, even if he was the last comic on the, on the, uh, on the lineup. Um, so, I mean, I would like to see a different, you know, a different audience, how he responds to them. I guess just in a whole for me that I love that. Ed no uh, Jeremy, I think Jeremy, you summed it up really well. What's that? I think he summed it up really well, comparing it to his prior moment. Like, yeah the humanization of it. Like we deify celebrities to the point where they are, they almost become not human to us. And we hold, uh, hold them to such a higher standard where it's like, like they mess up just as easily as we do, you know, sometimes even easier because of what they're surrounded by and what they're doing and what's, you know, what their lives are like and that culture is like. So Oh, he's a person too. Yeah. Also too, I love how this special reflected what comedy really is when it comes to, because there's so many specials that people have out that like, you know, they have this like air of confidence about them, even though they may be saying offensive things or what they say might be somewhat controversial, but there's always this sense of like confidence in them always being in control where Louis special, you don't feel that in any way, shape or form throughout the whole thing. Like I watched it, even rewatching it now, it still had a very visceral experience to it. It, fe- it felt like at any point this crowd could turn on him. And I love that about, you know, I love that about comedy that it always walks this very fine line. But when people put out their specials, you don't really get that sense. You don't get that sense of like what really comedy is. And that special definitely highlights it throughout the whole time that at any point you feel like that audience is going to boo him or shit on him in any way, shape or form. And I like, I like that about it personally. It's almost like a controlled, not controlled chaos. Cause you know, I mean, he's a master. He has control of them the whole time, but does he, I mean, I, I didn't ever got the sense in that special that he really truly had control. I think he knew I think he had a control of what he was going to say, but I don't think he had control of how these uh, this audience was going to take it. Where I think where Bill Burr and Chappelle have the power of they know what they're going to say and they know how people are going to take it. And so they know how to handle the room. Where Louis, I think they kind of because of the way he he steps back and, uh, and assesses the room, he accepts th- he accepts the room for what they're responding to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a very visceral set. Um, I mean, it's like gritty. Like he's just in a t-shirt, like sweat stains. So it's very, it's a very human experience. Um, I don't know. I think, I think there's some really, really good jokes. I would recommend, uh, I would recommend purchasing it. I'm not, I'm not mad that I did it all. Uh, it's for comedy writing purposes. I mean, if you really want to sit down and study some of his, you know, some of the bits. 
Um, he, he has one about uh, going like going and like traveling. He has a, a whole bit on traveling. That's great about going into like small shops and like how he hates that. Was, yeah, funny. dude, that bit is so good. All walked into that shop with that guilt. Yeah, and that's so how relatable it is. Yes, it's. I wish I would have that joke. I'm like, ah, I wish I would have thought of that. Oh, everybody's felt that feeling. Everybody. No, I'm not gonna fucking buy any. Yeah, (laughs) it's like the right amount of time to stay here. Uh, Yeah, it's. I I definitely recommend it. whether you like them or not, you don't have to like them to, to, to respect good comedy. And that's what, that's what this is. Uh, he came back strong and I, uh, and he does it by addressing the elephant in the room multiple times in multiple different ways in the, uh, in the special. And I don't know, as a, as a comedian, you know, what is one way that you, uh, can address the elephant in the room when it comes to the jokes that you tell? You know, just kind of think about that next time you sit down to write. Yeah, it's made me want to sit back down and go through all my stuff and refine it. So it's it's good. It's a good experience. Good talk. Right, that's what I'm about to do myself. I've got like got some basic bullet points. Now it's time to go break them down. Too soon. I gotta go take my 800 milligrams of Motrin now. Yeah. Get on that, Dave. I wish you the best. I I wish you. Uh, recovery so uh yeah i'm i'm at the point where the medicine is keeping me out of fever land and i i want to be at the point where i don't need the medicine to not have a fever fucking stay home mask up glove up like don't it's not worth it man this is the sickest i've ever been my entire life would not recommend people can be like hey you know Someone I know, someone I know, like a close friend of mine, like got really sick off this. It's not just like whatever. You, you're risking, you know, getting very sick. It's not just like whatever. Could yeah. be, but it could not be, and it's not worth the risk. Not worth the risk. If it was, I get it. If it wasn't, then I don't know. What, I don't want to know what COVID is. You know, that's like when people that like because they wouldn't test me, so I don't 100 percent know. My doctor seemed to think it was. Yeah. I mean, it's worth, it's pretty much, def- I mean, not definitive, but you know what I mean? Like where it's like, I'd bet a ton of money. It's being the sickest you've ever been after, during a pandemic. I think that adds up. Two and two makes three. Coincidence. <laughs> that is no coincidence. All right. Well, um, to sum this all up, I mean, even on a human level, when we fuck up, like it's important to kind of address that. Like addressing the elephant in the room doesn't just apply to being on stage as a comic; it applies to being that makes mistakes too. And that's where the comedy comes up. That's where the comedy is. Uh, you become a lot more likable when you uh, can admit to when you make mistakes. So that's why you know sometimes it's important to address the elephant in the room. Don't do what Aziz Ansari did. That was disgraceful. I just yeah. thought it was so dumb. Yeah, it was like, yeah. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> that, that, let's have some joke time. Like, ugh. Fucking train wreck. Um, 
career's over. Um, I don't know. I like Aziz Ansari, but whatever. Anyways, podcast is over. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I guess that wraps that up. We're working on Steve's schedules now. Yeah. Steve, yeah. Podcast yeah. over now. Hit stop. All right, everybody. Thanks for thanks for listening to You Can't Laugh at That. And remember, next time you feel yourself stressed out, angry, or offended from some angle, some point of view, Steve, Jeremy, you can laugh at that. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at You Can't Laugh Pod or like us on Facebook at You Can't Laugh at That and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.